Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Podcast. I'm your host, Jill Manoff, and today I'll be talking with Dr. Amanda Parks, Chief Innovation Officer at Pangaea, which describes itself as a material science brand and collective. However, you may know it better as the brand behind the rainbow bright sweatsuits with little lines of text that have been worn by the likes of Harry Styles and Kourtney Kardashian. I wanted to ask Amanda about Pangaea's unique approach to fashion, which indeed leads with science like no brand I've seen, and whether she believes the fashion world should brace itself for more fashion scientists like herself. Welcome, Amanda. Thank you so much, Jill. I'm so happy to be here and Happy New Year. Happy New Year. I'm so excited to have you here. So for those who don't know, what is that little line of copy on those clothes? <laughs> <laughs> it is our like, you know, kind of first way to uh, to reach the world with transparency. It is what the clothing is made of, sometimes how it's made, a little bit about the treatments, the dyes, uh, all, you know, very honed in to, to just a, a couple of lines. But really, it's our uh, it's our branding as transparency. I love it. Yeah, it's like the logo, but actually useful yeah. information. <laughs> Ex that's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> Great on. Well, tell me about your background as a scientist, how you found yourself in the fashion world, if this was always the plan, but fashion scientist <laughs> is the title. Right. Yeah, no, this was never really the plan, although I think in the back of my head it somewhere was. But when I was in college uh, 20 years ago, there was no such thing as a fashion scientist. So I think I sort of uh, you sort of have invented or it's an emerging kind of career. And I found this term to be useful. But my background spans from um, I started as a mechanical engineer, product designer, also art historian, worked in the art world, designing um, museum exhibits, uh, went really down the track on informal science education with the Exploratorium, and then went back into school for a PhD um, at the MIT Media Lab um, in an area that's called tangible media. And it really ended up being a hybrid computer science, material science PhD, where I was looking at how we can utilize digital technology and electronics to kind of um, try to control and augment material behavior and also organism behavior. So moved, moving more into biofabrication in the space of biology and ended up founding an algae biofuels company straight out of grad school. <laughs> So oh, wow. been, been all over the place, really. Um, that, but so I, I always say I, I came into fashion through the back door, but I'm very happy to be here now. So yes, well, tell me about finding your way to Pangaea. Um, I know, like the collective approach back in the day. I think when I was like would like reach out for a source, it was like, well, we're a collective. Like <laughs> there was no yeah. really like face of the brand or or head of the brand that wanted to like I guess break out and be like I don't know like the leader, the name, it's it's more of a collective approach, right? Yeah. And I think, you know, there, there's obviously a, a team of us that have been around from the beginning, but really that's, it's also um, an acknowledgement where this is not the kind of company that you can build alone. And I, I you know, me coming from Silicon Valley, I, the sort of cult of the single founder, I've never really bought into that from that being inside of that sphere. There's always all the people around that really contribute. And, and so we just wanted to kind of give that off with the company, uh, that it's not a sort of single name person, but we do have the most incredible people coming from fashion, media, marketing, um, environmental impact, science, technology, and all these people together allow us to do what they do. So that, that, that's why we call ourselves a collective, not to be evasive, to really be respectful of the process. 
Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And a lot of your your team, it's kind of almost, I wouldn't say temporary roles, but you have collaborators weaving in and out that are either they're part of the brand. Tell me about the collaboration approach. Um, yeah, whether it's in-house, in-house versus out-of-house. Yeah, I think, you know, as you know, as you know, the founding of the brand was very much based on we are a material science company. We're all about the future of materials. And we really think that that's an approach that can change the fashion industry from the inside out. Um, but we also um, have a big, uh, you know, appreciation and see, see it as like a, a, a absolute founding principle of our brand to have both philanthropy um, internally and externally through those kinds of collaborations, as well as um, artistic and creative collaboration. Again, so there's no single designer voice. So you might have seen like early on, we had collaborations with Takashi Murakami, right? So looking at kind of new kind of artistry. Um, we also, of course, do collaborations that are much more on my side, but on the tech side. So with uh, a company called Air Inc., right, which is making ink from, um, from air pollution um, through sort of sinking carbon that way. So we are really trying to span the globe um, in terms of collaborators that are artistic, that are philanthropic, that are technical, and really it's about coming together around the best ethos. And in this way, we reach different audiences, you know, different followers of a particular artist or a particular brand or, you know, some kind of tech nerd sphere that I'm in. So, um, yeah, so that so that's been our approach. And, um, of course, there's massive amounts of planning that goes into this, but it is, we do try to make it organic in the sense of coming together with the people that feel right for us, right? Um, recently, we had an amazing collaboration with Ed, Ed Devlin, um, you know, who is um, kind of an artist that is just just so just blossoming right now um, with her new work at um, in, in our Basel this year in Miami. And so, I mean, just her, everything about her ethos and how she thinks about the world is so in line with, with the kind of conversations that we have internally. So we really try to have our collaborators always reflect what's going on in our internal conversations in the, in the same way. Yeah. I, it almost, I don't know if I want to say, are these collaborators easier to come by these days, but it's gosh, it's so in line with, with what we're always writing about that consumers are, I guess, um, hungry for. Um, yeah. Is, is this, yeah. Are more people speaking out about like, their prioritization of sustainability and what they're doing in the space. Is that how you're finding them? Uh, I mean, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, it's through a combination of the amazing people on our team and the expansive networks that we all have in our different spheres um, and kind of people kind of looking for brands that are credible. And I think, you know, we, we kind of came, you know, as we, we emerged as only about sustainability and science, right, is at our core. So, so I know that we um, luckily are, are sort of more defined that way. So we have a lot of people coming to us, but really it's been um, a sort of back and forth of who are the right, who are the right people that we think have an organic kind of, you know, similar value systems and organic relationship with, um, who do we think is right for our product? And then, you know, it's just about talking it through and putting in the time to figure out what will, you know, what will be the best way to do it? And some things, you know, we may be talking to someone for a year or more before we really put on paper what something's going to be. So it's about finding the right space, the right product and the right people and and just putting in the time to make that happen properly. Yes. Tell so, me about the evolution. Really exciting space. Yeah. 
Definitely. Tell me about the evolution of the brand and I guess the business model or the company. To what extent are you an owned brand? You're selling clothes. And I don't want to say like yeah. material science as a service, but you this is something that you want to you want to be a source for other brands. Is that correct? Absolutely. We've always had this hybrid business model, which is and this comes from, you know, me and various other other people on our founding team having kind of worked with a lot of startups, you know, after after I um you know, finished grad school, I founded my own algae biofuels company as a startup and then worked a lot with other startups in the biotech space and in the wearable tech space. And I was kind of seeing a lot that as people try to collaborate with fashion companies, there was a real disconnect in terms of language and expectations and just all sorts of things around communication and having people kind of meet each other halfway. And there were so many amazing technologies that weren't making it into the market um, just because of this sort of, um, you know, this sort of clash of cultures in a way. Everybody was sort of wanting to do the right thing, but couldn't quite figure out how to how to communicate and get there. So Pagaya was sort of born, at least from my perspective, as, um, you know, can we build a bridge, you know, to kind of say, we see all these amazing materials, let the scientists do what they're so good at. And, and, you know, don't, scientists shouldn't be building fashion brands. Like that's, that's not a, that's not a, pr- <laughs> a good way uh, for us to, to kind of change the industry and, and vice versa. I mean, I was really shocked when I got more into the fashion industry to realize that big fashion companies don't actually have internal research. Whereas I was coming from tech, working with companies like Intel and Google, you know, they are doing their internal R&D five, eight, 10 years out to, to change and transform and make the indus- their industries what they want them to be. And I was surprised to see that fashion didn't really have that as much inside of the big companies or almost at all. So I saw that as, first of all, a massive opportunity um, for us to, to fill in the space. Um, but really, the, the way our model works is um, we first kind of develop materials. And by develop, that could be a range from anything from, you know, very short term, sourcing the best of what what is out there, like totally understanding the space, doing all the analysis on the transparency, et cetera. Um, and then sort of short to medium term, working with kind of materials that maybe from startups or from companies that are just sort of coming into market and will help evolve them into commercialization, sometimes do co-development. And then all the way into further thinking, very early stage ideas, whether they be academic research or very early stage startups do actual investment and scientific co-development. You know, I have a team of scientists that work with me internally at Pengai. We have laboratories in various parts of Europe. So we definitively believe in collaboration up and down the board because that's the key. We are not going to be the expert at every single thing. You know, we like I'm not trying to be an exquisite graphene scientist. There is someone out there who's that's their job. And and so the point is to do the collaboration and and then have um, you know, we're, we're more sort of scientific generalists in our role around the research, although we are digging in in some specific areas that, <laughs> that I see import, as important for the future. But, but in general, we then ease that process over into how do you commercialize quickly and give the right kind of feedback where you can go all the way from literally molecular structure of a new material through to product and do some kind of analysis and feedback inside that loop. It speeds everything up. It makes for so much cohesion. Um, we're, I mean, we're still a very young brand, so we're finding all this out, but, um, but that was the model to, to make these materials. And then on top of that, it was always to share the materials, to sell them. Um, you know, we, some, some people say it's open source, but being a computer scientist, I have to say that's not technically a definite 
edition of open source because we are selling the material. So (laughs) we're making money off of them. (laughs) But as part of the business model is to say, look, we are, we are a singular brand. The, The beauty of fashion is to have lots of different brands with different identities and different aesthetics, right? And the point is to share the materials, like the back end, the kind of Intel inside model. We're making that microcontroller that can work in an Apple or in a PC or, you know, an Android, right? And so you can utilize better materials, have them available. And we also do um, uh, also the services around what, we, what we're now kind of calling like a material concierge, because a lot of these materials, as they're newly developed, they don't, you know, we get to do a certain level of commercialization, but they don't necessarily just drop into every existing supply chain seamlessly, right? So take something like our Flower Down, which is our first patented um, product that we released um, right when right when we were founded. And this is an uh, alternative to traditional Goose Down that also has no synthetics. So it's vegan, but it's, uh, you know, one of my pet peeves is literally the, all of the use of fossil fuels and plastics in fashion that are oftentimes really, really hidden. And so when something yes. is vegan, people don't think it's made of plastic, but so often it is, especially in the cases of Down. So, so this was a breakthrough innovation um, that, you know, works and functions like down thermally, but in the process of, you know, just getting it into a jacket, there are little things that have to be tweaked. And these are the things that can kill an entire collaboration or an entire company using a new material like this. And we've seen this from experience. So we can offer a kind of service to kind of walk through that, just, you know, that first stage of production or whatever is needed. We're, we're kind of really figuring that out as we go, but. I love this. You are definitely meshing the two worlds. I see you even as a, I don't know, middleman translator. Uh, (laughs) Is this needed? Like, go ahead. Oh, no, absolutely. I mean, I think that um, just I never realized how much my background in kind of informal science education, designing museum exhibits and really getting excited about how people respond to science would be such a, a major part of my job. And I think it's become a hugely important one. I do, you know, I focus a lot on, on our communication on talks and media and trying to be the accessible scientists. I do not believe science is scary. You know, math isn't something for boys, you know, all of these things that really um, science, and it, it's such an amazing, um, fashion is an amazing platform to be able to show off science, right? Because there's beautiful images of nature and you can make beautiful clothing and all of it is, can be very attractive. Um, you know, without dumbing down any of the complexity. You know, there is, we try, we try to make levels of information available, just sort of very, very top line. Here's what's in it. But, you know, we're creating more and more media that allows us to dig deeper and deeper into the real science. And for those who, who do care about it and, you know, it gives transparency and it also kind of creates a way for people who just to, to start to feel like they can understand the world. And that's yeah. just, it's just by its nature, it's empowers, it's empowering. So I feel yes. like you can start to understand the supply chain. How is yarn made? I mean, it, there can be some very simple things and then there can be some very complex things, but it, it also then people start to ask more questions about everything that's around them and how it's made. So sure. I love that. I, I, you know, I'm still a professor and the, you know, I, I, I was a professor for at Columbia and at NYU and at MIT. And I, you know, it's still in my heart about, I want to teach people things. So our clothing is teaching people things. Sort it of. is. <laughs> Indirectly, <I would> think- <laughs> accidentally. <laughs> I think like even on, on top of fashion brands that are like, they're trying hard, they want to try harder. They want to do the right thing, but it's almost like timing is oh so right in terms of the consumer wanting that transparency, wanting yeah. more information. We're even seeing, you know, consumers, more consumers reading our stories that are really like, 
about the business side and what's happening internally at brands. They want to know more and you're seeing it on TikTok. And how would you describe the consumer, I guess, uh, yeah, hunger also for that? You know, it's really interesting because we were, we basically launched into COVID. I mean, we were a very tiny company. We were 12 people before COVID started and now we're 170. So we, you know, we kind of sort of came of age. So sometimes it's hard to know what exactly was what we were doing with the brand and what was it for the the atmosphere of the entire world. And um, as we start to reflect back on, I mean, this idea of everyone being locked inside and doing only online shopping and spending hours and hours online, you know, that idea of information being accessible, I think did become more important. And people started to realize that as their, you know, the, the information is literally, the, the internet is literally the information superhighway. And so it was like, oh, why don't I know this? Things, that, things you would start questioning on your, on your laptop that you wouldn't maybe if you were in a retail store, in a physical retail store. So I think there's an element of that. But at the same time, there, there was also this, this sort of growing, obviously, trends towards sustainability. And what I'm hoping now is it's gotten over the idea that it's a hype thing and that we really do have to have information behind it. And the, the greenwashing has to go. I, you know, um, I, I will say that, you know, I don't, I, I don't think that, you know, while a lot of brands do seem to be greenwashing. I don't think it's it's intentional in, in the sense of, I think that there's just, it's not that easy to get the right information and to do the analysis. And, you know, we had to start very much as a scientific company to be able to kind of have the bandwidth and knowledge and expertise and just decide that this was our business principle and priority. That's not easy for an existing brand to sort of suddenly build up all that, um, you know, that, that resource shift their priorities um, and so they do jump on things that seem easily accessible. Like, like one of, one of my biggest issues is, is for example, um, ocean plastics. Now, yeah. amazing that we're pulling plastic out of the ocean. We absolutely need to be doing this. It's fantastic. But you know what the very worst use of this is? Is to put it into something that is a fiber that actually sheds more, gets washed continuously. So it breaks down and then you're making more and more microplastics that are even more damaging. What we should be doing with the ocean plastic is putting it into something that basically, you know, construction materials, playground mass that never see kind of don't go in the ocean, don't, you know, don't get washed, don't break down, you know. So so there's sort of, it's, it is like in totally the right intention. Um, but, you know, but the idea of having ocean plastic bathing suits makes me crazy. It's the worst possible use for the fiber, right? <laughs> and, and although it's intuitively feels right. Yeah. So there's stuff like that, right. That where I think, where I think about this, um, these things that it is from like different levels of, of scientific complexity. And I want to try to get this stuff out in a way that doesn't blame anybody because I do understand like why you would go there. Right. And just, so, so there's, there's a whole lot of things in, inside of that space. I think that we're trying to kind of tease out as, Miss and, and and also I think it's important to understand that we as a scientific community as a technical community are still in early stages of really understanding long term effects. I mean, you know, we work with the the microplastic consortium, microfiber yes. consortium, um, and setting the standards, how we measure things, metrics, understanding what the tests mean, um, long term. I mean, it's just it is it is really like the wild west out there, and we have to be setting it up together. So this idea that as with all scientific domains, we may be wrong in the future and we have to keep analyzing and adjusting. So, yes. Are you, how would you say the last two years? Like, obviously, it's worked to your advantage. You started 
your company from scratch focused on sustainability. Um, your your anyway, it's it's in your DNA. As other companies, yeah. like, do you see that maybe they did have somebody that's in charge of innovation? They did have somebody that's in charge a, a tech lab. Um, they're making strides. Maybe they're pulling back. Maybe that's where they're cutting corners. Um, are you seeing? I, I would, I guess, like, I mean, it's not a good thing. Less competition or less people playing in your world. Or I, what, what's happened in the last two years? Yeah. So I think you know, I would never say that there's anything good that has come from COVID, but I do think that. Some of the situations that have re- result, you know, that have evolved. So, for example, if your supply chain is somehow derailed or your factory is closed, this is actually a time when you can do something disruptive, upgrade equipment, change your practice, change your supplier, start asking. Right? If you have to kind of restart all those mechanisms, it's an opportunity to change them much more easily than when you're just running in the status quo. So I do think that that there was, there was some brands that were definitely trying to take advantage of that. It was also a really hard time to do that because communication, you know, was harder and shipping and all of that. But at the same time, I also feel there was a little bit of like consumer understanding of, well, why isn't this coming as quickly? Well, we were, you know, the, the, we're all in it together type thing. And I, and I, and I really like that approach of just brands being much more honest about what is going on in on, you know, why things aren't arriving and, and that kind of thing. And, and I actually believe that public respond better to that kind of brand vulnerability than just sort of saying, oh, yes, yes, we're working on, you know, that yeah. black boxing of, of stuff. Um, so, so I think that's a little bit of, of what is going on, I hope, yeah. and it, it's slow. Um, I also think that just from the Silicon Valley and technical angle, whether I don't know how much this is related to COVID or not, it, not really. There's been, you know, Silicon Valley, mo- Valley models have been changing. And I've always have gone on record many times saying Silicon Valley is broken. I mean, like 10 years back, this idea of putting lots and lots of money into things that, you know, apps that are supposed to have, you know, a three-year or one-year return on investment as opposed to putting real money into real scientific domains that actually are kind of world-changing. Um, and those were the things that were that have just been so incredibly hard to be funded. We're up against things like the oil and gas lobby, which affects, it's not, that doesn't just affect energy, that affects all materials, plastic, you know, the, the number of things that come from that, trying to make technologies and new materials that can um, compete in price point with something that is has a, you know hundred over hundred years of infrastructure and subsidies. I mean, you're setting an impossible task, right? Um, and so, so some of those things are starting to change. I think, and that's the the people in Silicon Valley like recognizing, like, oh, we do need to be putting in money for things that we might not see a penny back on for seven years. And this, we have to do this or else we're, we're, we're going to kill ourselves off basically. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. So no more, no more silly apps. Um, for, <laughs> I mean, you know, it's, it's, it is harder to make the investments in, in physical technologies. There's higher risks and there's, you know, capital equipment, et cetera, et cetera. But, but I think I'm, we are slowly seeing that shift and, and seeing where, the, you know, watching where the money goes is, is a hugely important thing yes. <laughs> to what we're going to see next. So, for yeah. sure. Even in addition to money, in addition to funding, like, is it about competing for talent? Like, how do you attract these people into the fashion world? Yeah, no, it is interesting. I mean, so far we've been really lucky because our it just we're still relatively small, right? And um, the people who there's a sort of a small crew of us who have been around fashion and tech for a while, and we're all pretty close. And you know, the people who are you know in the industry, we're we're kind of able to to kind of maneuver this way. But 
Also, I think that, you know, fashion is a fun idea, especially for a lot of scientists who are like, oh, I don't want to work in that boring environment or whatever. So, and what I really love is I have so many like teenage and college age girls and women coming to me saying, oh my God, I, you know, I love, I've always loved fashion, but I really love math and science and I never knew what to do. And now I have like a direction. Oh, and I'm cool. like, oh my God, that feels amazing just to say, because I, I was that person where I was like, oh, I was all about the craziest trends and this and that. and was a color freak, you know, but I was really good at math and physics and I loved it. And I, you know, you, you, you don't necessarily find the right environment to be in. And I think that it, it definitely can appeal to a whole new generation of, of, of people, whether they be, um, you know, whatever gender uh, in terms of the fluidity, but d- that actually have a very, have a creative response to fashion in a very visceral way and they can apply their technical skills there. So I love that idea. I love that. So I don't know. We haven't, we, I mean, there's, you know, I love, you know, the, the best, most talented scientists in the world that I have in my network. And I, I think the other way to think about it is that we don't have to necessarily pull all the talent away. What if we collaborate? I want them to stay in their lab and do their microfluidics work and be, you know, be on the cutting edge. And we want to borrow a little bit of their time and their grad students and put something together that can be really commercial. So that's, so, so that's an opposite model of maybe the stealing tech talent that (laughs) again, (laughs) reflecting us as a collaborative collective kind of culture. That's way nicer. Um, (laughs) Tell me, I talked to a lot to brands about the balance of like of content and commerce. And it seems like obviously looking at your Instagram, like it's content heavy. Um, When you're to attract new, is that attracting new customers, um, shoppers of the brand? Um, I mean, also dressing Kourtney Kardashian, that helps too. Um, (laughs) But yeah, yeah, tell me what's working to bring new customers in. Sure. And I'll be the first to say that this is not my area of expertise. And I'm so lucky that we have incredible people that work on brand and marketing, media, um, e-com, all, and, and all the data behind it, too. I love that our company really is, is data-driven and becoming more and more um, in, in that space, which, which really appeals to me. But I think we're, we're lucky in a couple of ways. Um, because we, we did launch with a good, credible reputation and, and the right kind of people behind us and supporting us from very, very early, um, we got people coming to us and we're not you know, paying people, we don't have to have that model, right? Where we're, we're kind of pay to yeah. play in that. I, th- I think that that gets us a lot more respect where it's like, oh, we'll give people and say, yeah, tag us, whatever. And people seem to be proud to tag us in ways. So that's, 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 that's always really wonderful. Um, and then, you know, I think that, I also think that people respond to kind of genuine content. We try to, we do try to balance it out. And we're, we're having big discussions internally now because I want to, you know, we, we've launched our, a new platform called Pengaya Lab, which you might yeah, have seen. Um, and this is to feature our more kind of cutting edge innovations where we, I call it the space to nerd out, right? Where the, 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 the products that are for sale there might be like more expensive and we explain why, you know, they're like our sunglasses that we did in collaboration with the Startup 12 um, that is literally car- carbon pulled from the air and transformed into the lenses, the polycarbonate. And, and you know, this was like handmade. I, I was calling it couture polycarbonate because it was literally handmade, this, this, and this stuff. This is, a, this is a really new process. And so to justify kind of why these products are more expensive, not that they need to stay more expensive. It's not a concept lab. It's, it's sort of a, what we call the transition place. Um, and then, and then to really try to explain the, and, and we're thinking about how we can start to build out the scientific content there around, like start, start from a, a product place where people can re- relate to something like, cause car, it's like, if you start talking about carbon, people like their heads, their, you know, their eyes roll 
in the back of their heads, like, and there's a difference between CO2 and carbon and da, da, right? And so if we say, hey, this lens, this is made of carbon, and then we can start to kind of back, think about it that way. And so I think I, I see it as like, there's massive opportunity for great, for continued creativity about how to pull this more and more in. Um, and then also our philanthropy work, which just touches on all the global issues around um, sustainability and, you know, the environment and sort of how what we're doing around that space and what we see is important. So yeah. I, I, I can't, I, I'm not the person to tell you exactly what is working. I don't have the data in front of me, but yeah. it certainly is um, an alternative model that we're trying to kind of create something that is more creative, um, you know, assume that our customers and our consumers, um, you know, are not, first of all, are not stupid and, you know, really do have, you know, desire to kind of understand things fully and that you can also have this attitude of like, we're all in this together kind of journey. Like, I, you know, one yeah. of my favorite things is to say, you know, as a scientist, like, we don't know that yet. Yes. I love it. Um, I feel like we have a, a reputation on this podcast is trying to like debunk myths about sustainability. Um, I know like on ter- in terms of ocean plastic, what you just said was so, in- what you said prior was so interesting. Um, tell me about carbon. When you said carbon with the um, making something from carbon, we hear a lot about carbon offsets. And I know when I talked to um, Michael Preisman from Everlane, he had a lot to say about that. Um, is that. Is that a world that you guys deal in? What do you think of brands doing that, using that in, um, in terms of carbon neutrality? Yeah, we do. And it, you know, it's not entirely our focus. I mean, the whole idea of carbon credits and offsets is a kind of way of, of trading. It, it comes from a very good idea, but it sort of can quite quickly go to a dark place. Yeah. <laughs> is kind of the way that I think about it, where if everybody is just trying to offset, we're not actually making any progress on the real sustainability. So as a measurement tool to think about how you can make change and what things are foreign valued, um, you know, there, there's a value in it for me, but I don't think that it is a meaningful expression if, if a company just says, oh, I just carbon offset everything, but we're still working entirely in fossil fuel. Like it just, it doesn't actually solve any problem. It becomes a circular problem. So I don't have more specific things to say about it right now, but what I will say on carbon itself is the future of kind of carbon transformation and utilization where we're pulling carbon out of the atmosphere and burying it in various ways, putting it into the right kind of materials, like I said, that take it for a long term out of the air um, or into things that are meant to be long lasting. Um, and all of these technologies, as they grow and change and you know begin to kind of merge with different biofabrication technologies, I'm super excited about this. And it really is the Wild West. Um, you know, also there's, there's, there's startups that are making protein out of a carbon from the air. I mean, these are like the mind boggling things to say, how can something that is an invisible gas become a source of food? And that's where we're at, right? These are really, really new and early, but it is about how we combine. I mean, it's, it's chemistry, right? Like (laughs) everyone's done those little molecular equations, right? And certain things go from liquid to solid to gas in various states and, it's it's just, it's an exciting time to be thinking about this and and knowing that this is a big problem. So so um I I think carbon credits are or are sort of something that we need as a um intermediary strategy, but I absolutely it's not a a big long-term solve for anything well for, first of all scientific scientifically um and technologically but also government and politically. It it just it will suddenly just go back to wealth which is, you know, like, 
how wealthy are you? It means that you can just carbon offset everything. And I think we have to set limits. It'll become more like tax laws and all sorts of things I don't want to be involved in, but, you know, (laughs) (laughs) or or, or just are not my area. Right on. um, Yeah, so... So you talked about the, um, I guess, uh, the Pangaea Lab and and how some of those things are um, so new and they are more expensive. It just made me think about fast fast fashion. And I mean, is um, price the the biggest the biggest obstacle here in terms of, um, I guess, if as long as fast fashion will be around, there's something more affordable and are a certain segment of customers just going to go there? Will this even out eventually? Yeah. I do. I feel actually quite good that fast fashion is slowly dying. And I, and I put that up to like Gen Z and Gen Alpha really like not playing into it in a really encouraging way. First of all, cause right. Cause I mean, whatever the teenagers are doing, like they're back in the vintage used zone and they think it's super cool. And that if we can make it cool to not have fast fashion. That's a huge step forward. Totally. Um, there are also, of course, um, you know, a, a lot of different, things that are making it much harder to create fast fashion. Um, There is a new bill that's um, potentially being voted on in New York state about, you know, a fashion sustainability act, right. Which will have, you'll have to create a lot more transparency. So I think that as things start to open up, not to say that brands won't do terrible things to get to the fast fashion place, but they, it will be public and, you know, they'll have to, they'll have to have done the work and, they can't say they weren't aware, I guess, in a sense, on, on some level. Um, also, I think the pricing thing is also interesting because, um, you know, our we, we sit at kind of a premium level and, you know, more expensive than maybe high street, um, like, or, you know, like a sort of sports, general kind of sportswear thing, but not at all luxury. And, and we have people who, some people are like, oh, your stuff is so expensive. And we've other people are like, why don't you charge $800 for your tracksuits, <laughs> right? And, and yep. so I think that's, that's sort of a funny, a funny place in fashion to be also, um, just kind of recognizing how the cost of something almost never directly reflects, first of all, the materials in it. It might reflect the brand or something about the craft. But, um, I, you know, what I like to show is sort of that if, if you kind of, readjust the business models inside of the company, like how much money inside of a fashion brand is going towards marketing and and advertising versus the raw material costs. If you shift those slightly and what we try to do is use the materials themselves as the content and the marketing, right? You can see from our our stuff, right? Um, That you could have a higher bill of materials, cost of materials, and still sell a product at a reasonable amount. And especially as these new material technologies start to scale and we do have more regenerative cotton more avail- you know available more readily and that kind of thing. So I I want to think about it as um the kind of the very worst of fast fashion is is going to disappear because it will just not have the right kind of support. It needs the kind of the fire of teenagers and I think that's dying a little bit. There's new models around sharing and experiences and virtual closets and all these other really cool ideas that are taking over than just having the latest polyester outfit right <laughs> yeah. so I think that will I, th- I think that will fall out but then I think we'll end up with you know a level the bottom level where where some you know clothing can be there it, there's a there's a place for having clothing that is cheaper and is more quote disposable I like to think about a material appropriateness where if something you know is, is only meant to last a season because it starts to break down then have it be that way and have it be made of things 
that will break down and will biodegrade and, and just, you know, be, well, won't do any, it's first, it's like, first off, do no harm. Right. Yes. So the first thing we should be doing is, you know, make stuff with, with raffia, if it's going to, you know, if you're going to, if it has a beach bag and just, it's okay if that breaks down, as long as you haven't put any toxic chemicals hidden, you know? So yeah. I think that there, if, if we just start to think about the material appropriateness, um, you know, if you want something to last a lifetime and be a legacy, make it of the right stuff. And then if not, I mean, I, I sometimes think about, you know, like, like materials like, um, chitosan, which is in the outer shell of shrimp, like that, you know, that the waste, yeah. um, that is a material that actually, it, you know, withstands, uh, like lasts like a, like relative this is relatively speaking lasts like a plastic in regular water and soap but breaks down in salt water if you think about it, it's ocean right so yeah. imagine if you had something that oh well the actual recycling process or biodegradable is to put it back into the ocean where it came from now this is more complicated because of course there's so many things that have to happen to it to still make it keep that property while still being a product but this is the kind of future that I like to think about where things end up in the right place naturally. And even if they don't end up in the exact right compost pile, the first thing is that they're not going to do any harm, that they're not going to break down into like into plastic, into microplastic. So anyways, yes. We're went just, off the subject a little no, bit there. No, it's so oh, interesting because yeah. I hear so but, much but, about brands and, and circularity and, and I feel like they're expecting too much of the customer to like return it and bring it here and make an extra step sometimes. Yeah, exactly. And I, you know, I also think about what, what really changed for me, I, I've been a Rent the Runway huge fan and user since day one. Genius business model, just so well run. Um, yeah, huge congratulations to, to Jen, the, the founder. And um, that actually, to me, having a Rent the Runway subscription satisfied whatever urges I had for the kind of fast fashion thing. And I found that once I started doing it, I never was an H&M looking for a weekend outfit or what, all, all those things that you kind of think about with fast fashion. And, and also then I started to experience more, like better textiles, um, you know, better brands, more quality. And then you're like, oh, once that happens, you can't really go back. Yes. Right <laughs> so, on. so I think that that's a, another way to think about it is that, that those changing models that can sort of satisfy what we get from fast fashion that, that is fun. And I, and I, I'm not one of those people like, we don't need to be moving back to the 1800s when everyone has two outfits, right? That is not the idea, right? It's to say that we can have things, we can just make things that don't actually um, denigrate the planet and we can share things and we can use things and we can use creativity and technology to augment what we, what we already know. We can have our fun for sure. Well, it's yeah, a future. For sure. <laughs> it's a future of fashion tech, I would say, like technology, um, science. It, the future of fashion tech. Which it's it's materials innovation. Like, would, is that what you would say? Like, I I feel like we've been living in this world where <laughs> there's a gizmos yeah. and gadgets and everything seems ridiculous. You know, so actually, I came from. I did a lot of work in wearable tech. Um, coming from what you know, I was doing textile robotics at PhD was one one of the focuses. Uh, you know, of mine at MIT, and you know, I so I do have a certain. I do love this idea of how we use technology and data and sensing and analysis and interacting with our body and like sort of our clothing as second skin and all the things that can teach us about ourselves and about the environment and about inter interactivity. Like I think it's a really beautiful and poetic space that computer science has not quite harnessed properly. So that's a whole other conversation, but I don't want that to die. But one of the reasons I moved out of wearables was that I was just being so got so tortured by all the e-waste we were creating. I mean, it was even worse than regular electronics because they worse things were so temporal, and and so what I'm really focused on, yes, the material space, but even 
kind of thinking about rematerializing circuitry. So there's ways to make circuits out of silk and magnesium and things that do break down. So biodegradable circuits, we're a little ways off, but this research is being done so that when that's ready, we bring it back in and we can have responsible electronics and wearables and things that are designed to, to kind of even, to, even if they're just designed to be taken apart properly, yes. <laughs> let's start there, right? Or they can be fixed or, you know, just all these things that the electronics industry has done so much evil around in terms of, 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 not, of, of the planned obsolescence of the product. So when we can move past that, I, I want us to bring that all back for sure. So uh, yeah, so it's, it's not a question of gadget versus material or natural versus, you know, electronic or, you know, that kind of thing. It's more that how do we have a convergence where um, the interactivity um, is, is part of the, the natural kind of material itself, how, yes. we, how we set it in place. So tell me about fashion NFTs and how you see, is this a nightmare with all the energy nightmare as you see it in your world, <laughs> the energy, the energy. I know. Well, it's sort of funny what, so you know, when like one of the things that happened during the early stage of COVID and I stopped traveling so much and being at conferences and just kind of out in the world and, and, we were, and we were growing and growing really quickly and I was super focused on what I was doing, right? You just go into your little cave and your little friends and bubble and a lot of things were happening around NFTs and I was so happy to kind of be ignoring it. Like <laughs> I, it's, I've seen them as sort of like a necessary evil and we, we may indeed get into them in various ways. Um, but for me, it's, it's not what I'm passionate about um, at like having also worked in the art world. I, I can see the value and why they're coming in this and that, but I also see, you know, a lot of the horrors of Silicon Valley. Like I have, a, I have some trauma for being in Silicon Valley, <laughs> for, for going to Stanford and being around during like the early, the, 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 the early crash and kind of watching all everything that happened and, and, you know, who was making money and why, and just, just all the value systems that I don't, that I, that I don't consider to be my own and I yeah. don't want to see it happen again. There, so there's a lot of, of I think, um, like warning signs around NFTs. Yeah. So I, like, I'm not anti them at all. I, to be honest, I just, I've been so focused on getting materials made. There's so many people that are super focused on that. Like, let them do it. I should definitely get myself much more educated on the nuances, but for the time being, um, they're just, they're just not what I'm choosing to focus on. Yeah, that makes a lot. You got enough <laughs> That's on fair, your plate. Right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, sure. yeah, exactly. Well, like, speaking yeah, yeah. of that, last question, just heading into 20, mm-hmm. well, we kicked off 2022. Um, yeah, um, what can we expect to come out of Pangaea this year? Yeah, well, we, you know, we launched, I think it was in total um, eight new innovative materials last year, and we're, which was a crazy schedule. And it was just kind of our, you know, our basically our full full second calendar year. So we have just as ambitious of a schedule to get a lot of new technologies out there. You know, we our focus is what we call high tech naturalism, which is utilizing the abundance of the places in nature where there's an abundance, like agricultural waste or carbon or you know things that we can pull out and augment and shift with technology to make them useful. So so that's really. Um, you know, our, our focus to, to, from my perspective, at least, I'm knee deep in that. And then also, um, to continuing, you know, with our Pengai lab for me personally, our, our media platform and more content there. I'd love if any, if any of your listeners have things they want to know, um, I'm always trying to convince everyone on our team that everybody wants to know about science all the time. And they're like, yeah, yeah, Amanda, sure, sure. Like, you know, you do live in your nice, like academic bubble sometimes, but, um, I, you know, I, I'm super interested in, um, 
in what people are really curious about, what we can explain better. And, and I think just expanding that media profile to be um, just a lot more transparency around how things are made and, and have it kind of, you know, be less worried about, you know, things that like legal, of course we have to be, but just what, what how much more can we really share that people yeah. are going to respond to? I mean, um, and then I think also that our, our other focus is, you know, we, for, for last year, we started doing life cycle assessments on almost all of our materials, which takes a really long time. And when we think about these new laws, oh my God, it's not the reporting, it's the information collecting metrics, like everything about that space and how we really try to make sense of it um, and become a leader in the future for um, what, what kinds of metrics should there be? What kinds of law? I mean, it's not just like doing the analysis, it's, it's creating the systems themselves for the data right. collection and analysis. So yeah, that's what I'm, that's what's in my head a lot these days. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, I'm team science. Give the people what they want. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, so. write yeah. that story about ocean plastic and it will sweep the nation. <laughs> I'm constantly irritating everyone I know with it. <laughs> tell everyone, <laughs> tell everyone. Yeah. Uh, but I don't want, I don't want people, I don't want to be anti-collecting no. ocean plastic. It's this double-edged sword, right? Anyways. Right on. Things. Well, I could talk to you for hours and hours about transparency and oh my God. And then I feel like we should have touched on the blockchain, but anyway, we, we, we did good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, cool. what? Yeah. Go, Go I was ahead. Say, trying to think about the blockchain. We do have um, our system called Eon ID, which is right now a QR code, which, you know, goes into an app for our transparency. And really the key thing about this, it can be managed by the blockchain, but the biggest thing about the blockchain is not the blockchain itself. It's how we collect the data and make sure that the physical collection process and the reporting process is actually as valid as the blockchain itself, which people don't talk about that physicality in the factory. How do you know this is what really happened? Mm-hmm. Um, it's like to get it before it even gets linked. So just a whole, again, a whole other topic maybe. Oh my God. You're going to be my <laughs> yeah, ultimate yeah. source as we try to cut through the crap in the industry. Anyway, Amanda, I'm so glad that we talked today. Thank you for being here. Lovely to meet you, Anna. Yeah. Lo- love your podcast and, and everything you guys do too. So thank ah, you. Thank you so much. That's all for this episode. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. Be sure to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to The Glossy Podcast. See you next week.